Thank you, Sarah. And uh, yeah, thanks for the opportunity to uh, to speak with you all today. Um, one one thing just before I um, before I start is that I'd love you to just give thought to the concept that all of us know intuitively that everyone is different, that people respond to stress differently, that people's reward centres are hit in different ways where, where some people um, love rock climbing, other people couldn't think of anything worse, some people love yoga, others struggle to stick to that type of thing. Um, but yet when it comes to a lot of our programming, whether it be across health or, or mental health for that matter, um, safety and human performance, that we always go back to generic and so the one thing I'd really encourage you, and as a bit of a takeaway from today, is that when you see a snapshot of the information and the concepts and the science that I put in front of you, is give some thought to, um, you don't often have to, to know all of the science behind it, but even just that knowledge, um, that this idea that people are very, very different is real. So, you know, that in itself will, will um, allow you to really maybe look at the structure of some programs to enhance effectiveness. So just a little bit about, um, about us, the, the key areas that we work across, um, health and wellness, injury prevention and ergonomics, mental health, mental fitness. Um, and uh, the reason we put mental fitness there is that uh, the large part of our business is in the preventative space. And within a lot of programs, we we create pre preventative um, initiatives that triage into treatment. Whereas sometimes, uh, you know, within a lot of workplace health settings, it's all about almost waiting for the problem to occur. And then we're actually uh, trying to deal with it, treat it or, or mitigate it. And, uh, and a lot of what I show you today will, will be a mix of things that we also include in executive health and leadership programs. If I had to pinpoint our point of difference, um, and it's probably a good segue into what got us into the science of brain chemistry, is that many, many years ago, we realised that um, one of the difficulties in workplace health was engagement. That, and I think part of it is that actual generic approach, but there was a real difficulty in getting engagement and sustaining engagement. So we have literally spent 25 years of continual improvement in that space. And, and, and the good news is that if you get the structure of things right, you can get incredibly high levels of engagement and you can translate that into, um, you know, behavioural changes and positive impact against risks, whether they be health or, or injury prevention um, or in this whole mental health space. So launching into the, the brain chemistry side of it, as I alluded to on the previous slide, that the science of brain chemistry was really, really interesting to us because it, it actually explained a lot of previously unexplained things. And, um, and now, many, many years later, um, you know, we know that, that uh, it, it very much impacts behaviour and you'll... I'll progressively show you a whole bunch of examples as we go through the presentation. But just to sort of set the scene, um, and at the and hopefully it doesn't bore you, and at the risk of taking you back to, to uh, year 10 science, that brain chemicals or neurotransmitters, they operate at the synapse um, where you have a neuron and you've got this synaptic gap, and then at and then basically these brain chemicals are released from these vesicles and they actually continue the electrical signal. So the, the signal in our nervous system goes from electrical on this presynaptic briefly to chemical and then back to electrical on that postsynaptic. Um, you would have often heard of a lot of pharmaceutical products that, that target um, neurotransmitter receptor sites and... And so, you know, that's these little things that you can see here where these neurotransmitters attach to, and then the signal goes on. The reason those pharmaceuticals often act on these receptor sites 
um, is that they may block them so that if we were trying to reduce adrenaline or, or stimulus, that, um, that we would be maybe blocking dopamine um, or glutamate, um, you know, one of these brain chemicals that, that might be excitatory. And then there's other pharmaceuticals that act to increase the prevalence, um, like a classic one is with depression, um, that, that serotonin reuptake. So basically it promotes serotonin rather than being uh, degraded um, and taken away as waste product, it will be, there's a reuptake that occurs and it basically enhances our, that, that possibility of serotonin uptake. So, and the other key point is that everybody has a different profile and that gets you know, to that point that I was talking about um, initially. So why understand brain chemistry? Um, it allows us to get way more targeted in, in managing stress and people under, understanding their, their, um, you know, their various signs and symptoms. Like a little bit of an example with that is that um, with uh, dopamine and norepinephrine here are adrenaline brain chemicals and, um, and serotonin here. And so, so sorry, the dopamine and, and norepinephrine are very much linked to anxiety. So we need a certain amount of dopamine to be able to experience joy. But if that is overdone um, and is at extremely high levels, we've got anxiety. Serotonin, um, as many would have heard, has long been, amongst a whole bunch of other things, linked into depression. And, um, and so low levels of that might mean that people feel a little bit flat. Um, extremely low levels, we might be talking clinical depression. Um, GABA is a naturally occurring neurotransmitter and it has a modulating effect. Um, it, it, it actually is an inhibitory neurotransmitter that slows things down. Our, our brain is always seeking balance and excitatory neurotransmitters like dopamine or glutamate, um, they create fast neurotransmission and GABA helps slow things down. And acetylcholine has multiple functions, but, um, but uh, you know, a couple of things that it that is heavily linked to is sharp memory recall, and it also has a link into immune system function um, as, as well. So that just gives you a little bit of an idea. And, and one of the key things that I'd point out here too is that brain chemistry can impact our perceptions. So, so if we have got increased levels of these neurotransmitters that are causing anxiety, that that is going to um, you know, impact on our perception of what's going on around us. And similarly, if, if our brain chemistry, if we have lower serotonin than normal, we might be seeing the world as a little bit more glass half empty than glass half full. So, um, so that can alter our perceptions, which then impacts our decision-making. Um, so there's a real flow on effect and a real interaction between that brain chemistry balance and what the eventual behavioral output is. Um, and then the other concept here is just with brain reward centers is that a little bit, as I was talking about earlier with the example of rock climbing to yoga or adrenaline seeking, calm seeking, that, that um, the arousal is more the adrenaline seeking, which is really chasing dopamine. And what often happens, this reward center can dictate the types of behaviors that we choose to engage in. And it's not just those recreational things like the examples that I've given so far, these occur in corporate behaviours as well. And these are some of the things that we talk about in, in leadership and executive programming that, that um, behaviours like crisis creation, um, but then positive ones like innovation and creativity, um, they boost dopamine and often they can be driven by the person's want to, to basically experience the reward from that um, neurotransmitter release. So, so for this person here, they get a strong reward from 
dopamine being re released into the system. So you can see how it starts to almost drive behaviours and reward behaviours. So I hope that makes um, a little bit of sense there. Um, and, uh, you know, and even just that, that fact around sort of um, improving interactions and, and better understanding others is that it can become, you know, you think of cohesive relationships between teams within the corporate arena and even just understanding, um, you know, as a team leader that your people can be inherently different, that if I've got on these reward centres someone with a real leaning towards calm seeking or satiation, so if that was the opposite to that profile, that, that, that they are going to respond to a given situation very differently to the person who's the adrenaline seeker. So if we start to work through a few real life examples and I'll, and I'll virtually work through, you know, the items that we talked about in the heading, you know, through health and safety and, and mental health examples, but starting with um, the safety side of things, that if you have a look at the, and again, it's probably one of the perfect examples of, uh, I mean, I think safety programs in general have been some of the better, you know, behavioural programs that they've probably used behavioural science way more than health um, have with, from a programming and, and a structure and a delivery perspective. And I've probably got a few more examples on the the next slides where people have intuitively understand how to impact safety behaviors. But this first slide probably just challenges your thinking a little bit is that if you think about the things that we've talked about um, on the first couple of slides, and we look at these issues on the right hand side here, if I talked about scattered thoughts, poor focus, distorted perceptions, whether you're an adrenaline seeker or a calm seeker, and something we haven't touched on yet compensatory behaviours, which I'll get to, that these can all be impacted by brain chemistry balance and by individual reward centres. And that is obviously going to hugely affect um, choices and safety behaviours. And, and hence the, the graphic about, you know, about which road um, a person might end up down. And you know, so often you see it in safety reviews where people just can't understand why something happened. Um, and, and, you know, this at least goes part the way to explaining, you know, some of the unexplainable, that if we have high levels of these adrenal brain chemicals, that equals scattered thoughts and poor focus. Because if you think about it, high levels of... Those, those brain chemicals equals fast neurotransmission. And basically the neurotransmission is going really, really quickly um, to a point that a person finds it hard to focus, hard to concentrate. If we look at the opposite end of the spectrum with low serotonin, if that serotonin is, is at an extremely low level, we can actually end up with scattered thoughts and poor focus for the opposite reason, that neurotransmission is really slow and the person is struggling to respond quickly, you know, to a given, given situation. If I bounce it over to the reward centre um, side of things, that with this particular person, there's a, like most, are, most of us are a balance between adrenaline seeking and calm seeking. Um, and, and so that's just a, you know, like a given across the population, but on this particular scale and with this particular tool, that, um, that if it's a three or greater difference, that's regarded as significant. If it's a two or greater difference, um, it's, it's regarded as moderate. And if it's one or, or zero, that that is, a, is an out-and-out, out, you know, sort of mixed reward centre. But with this person, so they're a dominant adrenaline seeker. So... What that actually means is that in their everyday life, they are driven to chase behaviours that will increase dopamine because they physiologically get a reward. They feel good from, um, from the behaviour and the brain reward that they get from the behaviour. So that those vesicles that I saw before releasing 
dopamine into the synapse and then that um, being hitting the receptor at the other side and the message that that sends on, that creates um, a reward for the person. So subsequently, you can have someone that obviously an adrenaline-seeking behaviour can be risk-taking. So a person who is dominant here is going to um, be a lot more prone to, to taking risks than this person here. This person's going to be risk-averse if, if the dominance was the other way. If it was satiation dominance, that person is more likely to toe the line and stick to a structure there. And there's no rights or wrongs. Like I'm not, a, I'm not advocating that you um, chase down and uh, get rid of all of the adrenaline chases, chases in your organisation. Um, far from it. You know, community needs a mix for a whole host of reasons there. But it's really, really handy to know um, just the knowledge of that as a um, as a, a leader or someone who um, particularly as a safety leader. And the, probably the key point out of it is that the brain chemistry rewards can override rational decision-making. Um, and we see that in all, you know, you see so many examples of that where there's unexplained behaviour, that the reward from that brain chemistry buzz um, can override, you know, rational decision making. And people will make these compensatory behaviours. So to just touch on that before I move on to the next slide, if I'm arousal dominant, that means I like dopamine. I would prefer to be anxious rather than feel depressed. So the enemy to me is any depressive or flat feelings. So serotonin, the lower that gets, the flatter you feel. So to this particular person, that is the enemy. And often people have compensatory behaviours that I will go and engage in risk-taking or crisis creation, etc. That will boost adrenaline. I feel good because I no longer feel flat. So it's hit their reward centre. I hope that makes sense, but... It's really, really interesting if we consider it in a safety context and how these, these things can, um, can, you know, can impact decision-making that people make on a daily, daily basis. Um, so again, you, know, you think of it in the concept of, you know, this is a, a regular, um, you know, this is one of the programs that, that we provide within workplaces and a whole bunch of different activities, but, but you will find that that... Um, you know, the, the, the concentration or the actual way, it's one thing educating people, but really, really invaluable if they can understand how they are driven. So this particular profile is a really um, low neurotransmission, flat neurotransmission profile, because you can see depleted adrenaline ones plus depleted um, serotonin. So the risk for this person is concentration and 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 focus, being alert enough, basically. And then if you marry in, we already talked about this on the previous slide, this person's the risk taker because they're, they're dominant adrenaline seeking. And this person um, is the, the risk averse person. Um, so, so from a safety perspective, um, you know, they will generally try to do, do the right thing most of the time. To look at another concept, and this is some of the things that I was talking about where, where you know, safety have, have traditionally been on the right track, you know, realising how um, powerful emotion is. And, and the thing with emotional response is that it activates our brain reward centre. Um, you know, again, we all know that intuitively, but it's those neural pathways that, that, that open up and we get rewards um, by the emotions that are evoked by, by some of these things. So these sorts of programs, um, you know, obviously when presented well, uh, will always have an enormous effect because they, they hit directly at brain reward systems. So, you know, probably a, a massive well done to, to, to safety with um, implementing these types of things. And if we bounce across to mental health, 
Um, I'll get Sarah to launch launch the poll on, on this one because it, it'll then put real context and it's just a, a very, very simple yes or no. So um, I'll get Sarah to uh, put the poll up. Okay, almost uh, most people have nearly answered, so I'll just let it go for a few more seconds, Greg. No worries. All right. Here's the results. There we go. A very, very normal um, representation of the, uh, of the community. And just to speak to that one a little bit, and I'll explain, and I'll explain some of the science on the next couple of slides. But um, there are a small percentage that legitimately do not get um, a reward from 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 exercise, and um, and typically the more satiation you are, uh, the more calm seeking that it is less likely. But for the vast majority, um, as indicated with the poll there, that. Um, that yeah, it is. All of us feel more relaxed when uh, when we exercise. And to give you before I sort of talk to the research there, to give you an idea why, in sort of generic terms, um, two the two key things that occur during most exercise is that dopamine is burnt off, so that's the adrenaline linked to anxiety. So that's primarily where we feel calmer and more relaxed. Concurrently, serotonin is boosted. So we actually almost get a double brain reward there. So um, yeah, in general terms, activity is excellent and, and an amazing you know, modulating um, option for, for brain chemistry and for more broadly for mental health. And there's so many, there are so many studies out there and they're all really, really consistent um, in terms of the value. And this one's just one from, from Duke University in, in the US, but it's reasonably self-explanatory there that, um, you know, that you've got the medication alone group um, and then how they rate it on clinical measures of depression. And then you've got the exercise alone group. So you can see that it was almost as effective as, as medication. Um, and then, you know, both together uh, was the was the, was the better option. But it but I think it really sort of brings to light how powerful some effective lifestyle choices can be. Um, and if you think of it in a preventative sense as well, so not only for for people that are suffering, um, but in a preventative sense, that is obviously a great great way to um, you know build resilience to to mental health issues. And then if we look at emotional energy management, that uh, I did a workshop last year, and a few of you might have seen this, um, you know, this, this scale where we've got, you know, the negative emotions, positive emotions, and, um, and sort of the high energy ones and the low energy ones. So, so if we look on the, the negative side, that down that bottom left quadrant, that we're pretty much talking the depressive type things, and up here we're talking the you know, more the anxious side of things. And, and what we generally try to teach people is that if you are feeling any of these symptoms on the left side of the quadrant, that is the time to stick most closely to positive lifestyle interventions or whatever program, or if you, know, if you have an existing program, that you stick most closely to the things that you know will get you back over to, to the other side. Um, because these top left ones, very much associated with high levels of dopamine, um, high levels of dopamine, really closely associated with anger. Um, you know, a couple of ways that you can think about, about dopamine release that, um, you know, certainly in any anger situation, dopamine levels are elevated. Um, if you get cut off in your car, that feeling of heightened awareness 
is, is a dopamine release to the brain. So it's all linked into that fight flight process, allowing you to better deal with the, the, the given situation. And these um, feelings in that bottom left are very much associated with depleted levels of, of serotonin um, or, or the similar symptoms there. So in terms of like just having a look at a few different examples of, of optimising brain chemistry for improved health and performance, that I won't go into huge detail with, with these because a lot of them can be extended, you know, talks by themselves. But, but just to give you a few ideas that you'll probably relate to is that so many of us reach for a coffee first thing in the morning. Um, within 30 minutes, um, caffeine will boost, will boost uh, dopamine levels. Similarly, um, energy drinks, because of the high levels of caffeine and guarana, um, will also increase dopamine. And, and a lot of probably come across, you know, some of the media where it's talked about um, that, you know, a lot of the energy drinks being linked to heart palpul palpitations because it's literally increased brain chemistry to a level that, um, that, is, that has prompted um, that. And the, the other concept that I get you to think about within this is the compensatory behaviour piece is that sometimes we're using the energy drinks or the caffeine um, to compensate for feeling flat and we're wanting to inject adrenaline into the system so we feel more alert, more capable of doing what we want to do. But, um, but a really good consideration is to, you know, get to the root cause, of whether it's sleep, whether it's some of those other lifestyle factors that can actually have a positive um, impact as well. And so, yeah, so moving on to the next one. So one of the things with acetylcholine, I, I mentioned it before, and basically the way that operates is that if you think of, I'll often ask an audience of how many people have been on a, on a vacation or a holiday and, and have got sick. And a lot of people have experienced that scenario. And often before you go on a holiday, you're trying to finish off X, Y, and Z at work. You're possibly trying to get things tidied up around the house. You're packing, you're arranging the holiday, et cetera, et cetera. All of which really pushes that adrenal system and, and we deal with the situation because that's how our, our brains are built so that we will revert to survival and just get it done. But one of the fallout things is that if we suffer a little bit of adrenal burnout, cortisol comes into the system as a backup. That's why you'll often see cortisol used as a, as a measure of a stress response. And one of the downsides of cortisol being present in the system is that because it's a batten down the hatches scenario um, of alarm bells ringing, so let's just get through this given situation, it blocks off, it has an inhibitory effect on other functions. And one of the um, fallouts is depleted acetylcholine levels, which then goes on to affect immune system function and sharp memory recall. If I look at bounce to energy and fatigue, that, uh, and we look at the whole thing around, you know, sleep and activity. So if you look at a study like this, where it found that research vastly improved, uh, sorry, that exercise vastly improved um, sleep quality, that in simple terms, the reason that, that it does that is that it helps burn off, not surprisingly. Um, you know, we talked about before that the adrenaline brain chemicals um, and naturally, you know, adrenaline, high adrenaline levels would be um, intertwined with, um, you know, with a difficulty to get to sleep. So, so hence the association you know, with that is really strong. Um, if I just sort of look a little bit away from the actual brain chemistry elements, but, um, but talk about more the, the value in prioritising sleep, that, uh, you know, this is something that I've been heavily involved in studying recently. And, and 
we know that you know the, the search is still out for, for an Alzheimer's cure, but one thing that we know categorically is that the major biomarker for Alzheimer's disease is the prevalence of these beta amyloid plaques in the brain. And basically what they do is kill neurons. Um, so hence that when they you know, look at brain profiles and brain imaging um, post-mortem, that you will see large sections of, of the brain and particularly around the working memory areas um, that, that have atrophied. So it's actually lost tissue mass in those areas. And, and often, you know, one of the, the causes is that, that uh, these beta amyloids have progressively killed off neurons and, and thus, you know, brain matter as it's gone. The upside is that when we sleep, um, the brain has a cleaning system called this glymphatic system that literally washes through the brain and clears away waste products and debris, including those beta amyloid plaques. And, and, you know, there's a couple of things with this is that it kicks in and is strongest um, after about five or six hours of sleep. So, so that, you know, it, it really does give you a strong argument for, for prioritizing sleep, which I talk about on this next slide, so that if we tie it in further, that, um, and, and if I just make a little statement here that I've been working in health and workplace health for 25 to 30 years now. And when I first started, if you asked me the lifestyle factors that, you know, would influence health the most, I'd probably start with exercise and nutrition. Um, now I have sleep as the standout number one, you know, followed by by exercise and nutrition and you know the re the research has been slower than those other areas but it has is continually leaping ahead and um and we're finding all of these links into you know various areas of health so if i look at a proactive approach to it the things that i would say to people is firstly with sleep really prioritize it like plan it and i've got here this idea of circadian rhythm and sleep opportunity time. So the couple of the things that you're in control of is try to work within your circadian rhythm cycles. So when you feel tired around about that window of going to bed, whatever that might be for you, that's the time to go to bed. Because if you miss that, the next opportunity in the circadian cycle will be approximately two hours later. So 90, 90 minutes to two hours later. And so, so grabbing that opportunity when it's there because that will impact your sleep opportunity time. And so that's the bit that you wanna look at is give yourself that opportunity to get that, that eight hours sleep. And then prior to all this, what are the things that you can do to set yourself up for success? The exercise, you know, will decrease those adrenaline brain chemicals um, and start to relax your brain. Um, same with caffeine intake, screen time, um, and even your thoughts and relaxation is that obviously, you know, the more relaxed you are uh, come sleep time, you know, the, the better your chances of, um, of getting off to sleep there. So I thought I'd show you a couple of case studies because it probably brings it to life. So a few case studies, I've got one for you from um, the corporate world and I've got one for you from elite sport, um, which, which hopefully are of interest. And and I'm hoping with some of that prelude that, that it will make a little bit more sense because this is an incredibly in-depth and um, topic. So, so this particular person here, what you can see over here is that um, they are a dominant adrenaline seeker. So you remember the things that I've talked or associated with that. That means that they are very comfortable with high levels of um, adrenaline in the system, but really uncomfortable with low serotonin. So, um, so they are driven to chase adrenaline. Um, if you look at, now the issues from a health point of view is heart health, because remember what I talked about before with the adrenaline in the system, cortisol response, et cetera, 
but also the issue that um, that that you know high adrenaline in the system um, you know can, can often with that stress response that that we can have constricted arteries and blood pressure issues and blood lipid release which it can you know lead towards um, you know cholesterol triglyceride issues etc so there's a health point of view here and the performance risk and this is what this person found they're a very very dynamic operator but there was the risk of personal burnout um, because they were chasing adrenaline so hard and they already had elevated levels here you could see that GABA was kicking in to try to regulate it and modulate it um, and so the, the goal for this person was basically to definitely engage in more relaxation and get those, those, those levels down. Um, I'll flip to the, and so, you know, the, a key point, and you'll see it's probably written in a different way on the next one, is that, um, is that you go through this cycle of brain chemistry rewards driving the behaviours and then the more out of balance that you are, the behaviours will be amplified. So what I mean by that is that if that serotonin drops, because of the arousal reward centre, this person will really chase adrenaline-based behaviours to increase these ones so they don't feel the effect of the flat one. So the more out of balance you are, the harder you will chase the negative behaviours. So for this person, they're actually very lucky. They didn't have a lot of negative behaviours, but still crisis creation, um, risk-taking behaviour. And the reason I put taking action is that sometimes it sounds like a positive one, but often we create a list for ourselves with, you know, 20 items long that really only needed to be five items long. And the problem with a 20-item long list is that it creates more stress. So, um, so that's the link there. If I give you a, a look at a, um, a from the elite sport area, um, that uh, this particular person here, I've got the statement down here, your strength is sometimes your weakness, that all these ones that I've got marked in red here, they are all calming behaviours. So detailing, controlling, organising, perfectionism. They're also really indicative of a lot of high performers. And this particular person, um, the, these, these behaviours very much try to bring the adrenaline brain chemicals down. And as you can see from their reward centre, um, and, and I must point out this is an incredibly... Um, uh, you know, sort of uh, pointy end of the scale. Um, so it's a pretty extreme example of it. And um, they've got a massive difference. So they really prefer calm. Um, and their sport being AFL is a, obviously an incredibly adrenaline driven, driven sport, but you can see that they prefer calm. So these guys here are the enemy. So it's no surprise that this person had diagnosed anxiety. Um, so the goal here was to actually decrease these to a comfortable level, which then means that they don't have to engage in these behaviours as vigorously and as aggressively as, as they would normally. So the strength and weakness part is that this person became and still is one of the very, very best players playing the sport, but the risk was burnout if they didn't get this under control. Um, so that made them great because they chased perfectionism, but it eventually became a weakness, um, you know, because you, can only, you, you can't control it um, enough or the, the, the drive is too strong and... and and uh, you know can really really disrupt you here. So I'm pleased to say that they are they are now down, you know, at a really controllable level and um, and virtually anxiety free, which is which is very pleasing. So I, I put this slide in because, and I'll relate it back to these behaviours. Is that we all have these behaviours, 
Now, a lot of you in the corporate world may have come across them with tools like 360 degree feedback, et cetera. But, um, and, and there'd be a range of other tools similar to, to the, the one that I've shown you as an output from today. But if you don't have that ability, what I'd encourage you to do is ask your partner, ask trusted friends, ask trusted colleagues, um, so that you can actually create some better awareness around what are your natural tendency behaviours under stress? Because often they can be the things that are derailing you so that when you, you might be doing positive lifestyle things to, to feel better, but then you go back to the same behaviours that are putting you out of balance. So I hope that makes sense. So it's so, so valuable if you can be concurrently addressing these behaviours that might be keeping you out of balance while you're actually doing the lifestyle, um, the lifestyle factors with it. And I thought I'd touch on the working from home because it's so relevant with COVID um, and probably the challenges and decisions that workplaces will have to make in, you know, in the coming period. And I know many workplaces have been fantastic and have been incredibly proactive with surveying um, employees about their preferences. But one word of caution is a little bit like the trends from those two case studies that I showed you, is that sometimes what feels good to you isn't actually the best thing for you. So, you know, people dependent on their profile will lean a particular way. So, for instance, the, the satiation or the calm dominant person is sometimes highly likely to revert to moving from working from home, whereas the arousal as a general term um, might go more the other way. Um, if there is a little bit of anxiety present, that can also influence people's decisions as well. But total withdrawal is not usually a productive um, mechanism longer term to address anxiety. So you know, there's things to be aware of there. And then, you know, if you look at things like neurobehavioural styles that obviously this person up the creative and team end is going to benefit a lot more from, you know, having a team orientation. And probably the last bit, you know, from a planning perspective with, you know, with the work from home or work from, work from an office is that what we know unequivocally from a mental well-being perspective is that people operate best with human connection and um, and that that is probably amplified again there's numerous studies here and um, you know a whole bunch of the studies on centenarians and areas that they call um, you know blue zones across the world where they've looked into the Mediterranean and the idea of that, that it's not only diet and exercise but it's also social connection that is a huge part in that longevity and that, that brain health. So, um, so it's something that, you know, and interestingly, and, and for those of you that, that would like to look at that one there, to put a bit of context around the Bronnie Ware, she was a palliative care nurse that wrote a book about the top five regrets that, that people had in their dying days. And number four on her list was... Um, you know, this idea of, I wish I had stayed in touch, you know, with friends. And she actually goes on just from an anecdotal point of view of talking about, you know, the value of, of human connection with it. So just sort of, you know, finishing off with hopefully a few more just usable bits and pieces, like I've already given you some of those ideas around exercise and sleep and, and how that, you know, those lifestyle factors can, can impact brain chemistry. But um, if you have a look at like sometimes what are the things that, that you do when you're out of balance, um, you know, one, one of the bits of advice that we give people is that when you are under the most stress, and I mentioned it earlier, when you are under the most stress, that's the time to stick most closely to positive, you know, behaviours. So, so they can be corporate behaviours like we touched on, like the crisis creation or the controlling or the perfectionism or they can be social behaviours, um, like a, a bunch of these things listed here, or they can be recreational pursuits. And often they can be driven by, um, 
by our Brain Reward Centre, as we've discussed, and concurrently with the imbalances here. So, um, you know, so, so, that, so the point is not to say that everything, you know, is negative here, but the general point is when you are most stressed, the, you'll chase the behaviours harder. So remembering that, so that if, if they are negative behaviours, that's when it's the best thing that you can do is actually work to reduce those stress levels so that you won't engage in the unwanted versions of the, the behaviours. And, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about the things at the top here, and I'm going to finish in two slides time, I think it is, on the, the hobbies and, and recreation pieces. But the, the one that I'm just going to briefly touch on is this idea around thoughts, perceptions, et cetera, and how powerful they are. Um, and a lot of you have probably come across this, and, and I will send the slides out so that you can review and, and think about them a little bit more. But, you know, way back, um, you know, during and post-World War II, Viktor Frankl is probably credited for a lot of impact on the way that positive psychology has evolved since then. Um, and, and, you know, one of his greatest observations was that, was that and, and you hear it sometimes used in terms like locus of control and what's in your control versus out of your control, um, or in really simple terms, choose your attitude. And, and it's this idea that you have the ability, you always have choice, no matter how dire the situation is, there are always choices. And then if you evolve that in, and I, I think Myash had a talk a few weeks ago that looked at you know, self-talk or self-coaching, and that's this bit about changing the narrative is that it is a really powerful cognitive behavioural therapy. You know, this idea of changing the narrative on a given situation. So remembering that if your serotonin is really low, you're going to be seeing the world glass half empty. Um, so sometimes it's really useful to debate the narrative with you and look to change the spin or the angle on that because it really, really does have a flow-on effect um, to emotions and ultimately to brain chemistry balance. The other one that you've heard a lot of, but this probably hopefully adds a little bit more science around it, that we all know that when we express gratitude to people, and in particular, if we see their response to it, that you now have a bit of an understanding of that whole emotional and brain chemistry reward pathway that it hits that. And that's why you see these, these results in there where you get things like the 35% reduction in depressive symptoms simply. So this is in clinically depressed people that just by giving them the, um, the prescription of engaging in, in a gratitude exercise that, that they see that reduction. So you can see why it's been pushed so proactively as a mechanism to not only um, you know, use as a cognitive tool, but also to use in a preventative um, uh, situation as well. And this is probably the biggest bit of value I hope that I will leave with you because I just think it's so relevant in today's world. Um, and I think it's been absolutely amplified by, by COVID when you've got people doing homeschooling and um, trying to balance work and and, um, and, and kids, et cetera, and deal with lockdowns. And for some, you know, th that might also mean financial hardship as well, that our brains need a break, that the key message out of this is that your brain operates best when you um, relax and you recharge. And the reason I love putting science around this is, is that often if I just had those pictures up that top left, that people can see that as a little bit, um, you know, potentially a little bit lame and a little bit, oh, yeah, I wish I had time for that. Um, what I'm telling you is that if make time for something and it doesn't have to be a complete structured activity, it can just be a little thing, like as tiny as getting out for a five or 10-minute walk around a park um, during a lunch break or instead of eating your lunch inside, 
heading down to the local park or, or a nice area to, to eat it. You know, all of these things, they have this regulatory effect and, and modulating effect on, on these anxiety-driven brain chemicals and the depressive ones. Being outdoors is one of the best things you can do for serotonin levels. So, so and the, the key point over here that I've got with the synaptic plasticity, and this is really interesting because if you try and balance out the concept of use it or lose it, that the idea of that is that um, if we are challenging ourselves, we have synaptic plasticity occurring. So these, you know, they, these neurons are firing and they're strengthening. Every time they fire, because our body will biologically adapt, those neurons strengthen and, and, um, and that connection is, is strengthened. So, um, you know, that's the value in the using it. But there is a cutoff point. What they've found, and there's a school of thought and there's a really strong body of evidence emerging about this synaptic saturation, that if we overdo it and don't give our brains an appropriate break, that, that we risk this saturation and basically impaired learning and impaired synaptic plasticity. So, so the science is really strongly supporting this idea of making sure that you get that uh, rewire and recharge um, occurring. So I know I covered a, a lot there, but I, I hope I've um, given you a few ideas and, 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 and certainly um, maybe a few things just to provoke some thought and, and with a bit of luck, some things that will be valuable for you personally, but also valuable um, in, in potential uh, you know, programming structure. Uh, yes, Greg, um, that was great. Um, I haven't got any questions um, just yet. Um, and we have only got a couple of minutes because I know you have got another appointment, but just some feedback in the chat um, from Alex. He said he loves these sessions, especially as a safety trainer and consultant, that they're engaging the emotions is vital for safety, culture change. Um, and another one from Campbell saying terrific presentation, looking forward to receiving this, the slideshow. Um, best wishes for the future. Yeah, yeah lots of great feedback. So um, just waiting for a, a question, but um, we will put um, Greg's contact details in the email later today um, for his website and if you have any questions for him and we will send the slides. Um, so Mary said terrific, she's off for a walk. <laughs> good on you, Mary. <laughs> yeah, the, the feedback is really, really good. All right. Um, Okay, so with that, um, thanks a lot, Greg. I think hopefully we'll be able to have you back sometime, um, if not before the end of the year, um, next year. So that was really good. Thank you, everyone. Okay. No problem. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye.